I don't know. Duck and cover, bitches. Hello, Brett. Hello, Bree. So. <laughs> That's very regal. Indeed. Indeed, Ooh. Brett. Do you know what's incredibly amazing about this incredible episode? Oh my God, what is it? Tell me. We have hit the double digits of episodes. Shit, yeah! We have finally hit <laughs> the big one oh, the one of zero, the amount of fingers I have, the amount of toes I have, the greatest scale of attractiveness ever. Oh yeah, I guess so, if you're 10. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, how many things have 10 in it? I have no clue. <laughs> All the things. Yeah. The new math. It's the new math, isn't it? Base 10. Oh, base 10. It, it, I think you're thinking common core. Base 10 has always been. Whatever. The, you know what I mean. The number uh, system. Common core. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I think I heard about that from my niece and I was yeah. like, what the what? What? <laughs> common core is an interesting, interesting thing. I'm writing a whole bunch of stuff on the philosophy of education recently for my class. Oh, wow. and it's a very interesting concepts going on with not that I necessarily think it's good or bad. Maybe I think it's all bad. Every single thing about our school <laughs> system is not great. Um, so yeah, that. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah, there's that. There's so, also that. Um, I would like to I- introduce. I would like to say hello to all of our listeners from me and Brett. This is particularly dangerous situation. PDS babes. What's yeah, up? I love when you do that. When you go PDS babes. PDS babes. It's so cute. OMG. <laughs> if you don't know what we are or who we are, first off, welcome. Thank you for choosing us to listen to today. Hi. And we are a very intriguing podcast where we talk about different disasters that have happened around the world and perhaps over here outside just, the world one day. I'm over here just making faces at Brie going like, yes, 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 queen. Yes, queen. <laughs> yeah, we talk about particularly dangerous situations. Brett is a huge weather nerd. Yep. I'm a huge disaster nerd. And then together we create a podcast. We're a huge weather disaster. <laughs> yes. Together we're a huge weather disaster is what that we That makes sense. It is a metaphor for my life because we all know how much I love metaphors. Oh my God. It is not a metaphor. It is my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you my listen, life is a disaster. If you listen to the previous episode, uh, you don't get an update quite yet on Brett's goose egg that happened to the side of her head, her bruising yeah. on her arms and shoulder. You will have to wait to hear that update. I'm sorry gonna get better though it's only gotta get better from here right I'm just yeah i guess so <laughs> i feel like i have to ask everyone since we have to fill in you know a couple minutes not yeah. really but we're going to if you want to give us a rate a review we would really appreciate it if you yes. want to follow us or subscribe you can follow us on spotify and other Please. podcast catcher and platforms and you can subscribe on the itunes and i itunes we really do love those reviews apparently you can review us on stitcher as well Nice. We want to hear the love and maybe not love. We want to hear the good uh, criticism that is helpful, though. Good feedback. And we want us to talk to us on the platforms of social media. I mean, I think that you could just call us a couple of dumb hoes and leave us a shit rating, but it's still a rating. So I'll take it. (laughs) I think that is like you become one of the tribe once you 
get a bad rating. When you like get that, your shit review. Yeah. When you get your <laughs> shit review, it's God, I can't talk at all or think, but it's like that next step. What's the word I'm thinking of? You have arrived. You have arrived. I'll take that. That's not exactly, <laughs> but yes, you have arrived. You are officially a podcast once you get that first shit review. Perfect. I guess we have so far five stars. So let's see if that changes Yay. by the time this comes out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Brett and I want to talk about disasters. So the fun part is me and Brett in the last three episodes, at least have not told each other what our disasters are. And I've been having a lot of fun with it. I feel like our last episode, as far as I could tell, unless I find out later, did not actually have a theme. We tend to have themes. Yeah. And that was the first one, which I think is impressive. Okay. Other than I talked about a man-made disaster and you talked about weather, which I think is totally us and a great descriptor of what we like to do. Yeah, for sure. I guess we should start. Is that a thing? I mean, you know, we could do that. I like how you're looking side to side as if you're getting people's opinions, but no one's there. I don't know. Is anybody around here? Does anybody want to tell me? I'm pretty excited about this. Okay. This is So I was inspired to do this from Missoula Flood a little bit. Oh. So I found this. During Missoula Flood, we talked about that meteorite that fell mm-hmm. in Lake Oswego. Well, it didn't fall. It fell somewhere either Canada or by Missoula and then was carried through the flood to Lake Oswego. So it's <laughs> called the uh, Willamette Meteorite. Today, I'm talking about the Chelyabinsk meteor, which is in Russia. Oh. Excellent. Oh. Yes. yes. Excellent. I tried to listen to pronunciation for all these places. <laughs> so hopefully, I appreciate that so much. <laughs> yeah, I actually, like, before we started recording, I was going through them. A lot of them, okay, let me give you the disclaimer that a lot of them are pretty much pronounced how I think they're pronounced. Looking at it, I do have a speech impediment. I do want to say that because some of this stuff, even though I know how to pronounce it, yeah. because of these letters, the way they are together, I'm having a little bit of a hard time pronouncing it. I do want to say that, like, it's not me straight up being an asshole this time. It's literally <laughs> my tongue doesn't want to move the way needed to pronounce some of these. Right. Because I do actually have a speech impediment. Or I did. And and she's like, not being an asshole, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not being an asshole. I'm not being xenophobic. <laughs> so my research was from Wikipedia, space.com, and NASA.gov. So Ooh. I feel like pretty good resources. February 15th, 2013. Um, it was about 9.20 a.m. in the area. A super bolide, an extremely bright meteor, entered the Earth's atmosphere. Mm. It was caused by approximately, it came off of approximately 66 feet of a near-Earth asteroid, which is, oh, nope, no mind, that makes sense. So this, <laughs> back up, this super bolide was caused by a near-Earth asteroid, which was approximately 66 feet, an estimated mass of 12,000 to 13,000 tons, which is heavier than the Eiffel Tower. Jesus. So this 66-foot chunk of stuff. Just floating around. Just, yeah, and coming into the atmosphere. Just floating around. This is actually a smaller solar system body, um, is what they call it whose purpose or whose orbit brings it to the proximity with the Earth. So that, oh, a near-Earth asteroid is any small solar system body whose orbit brings it to the proximity of Earth. Got it. Okay. This chunk had a speed of about 40,000 to 42,900 miles per hour. Oh, that's kind of fast. That is just a little little bit. Just a little bit. Breaking the speed limit a little (laughs) in the air, even 
I did a lot of, I do want to almost apologize, but not really. So I did a lot of uh, conversions to Imperial from metric. So if you are a person who listens in metric, I apologize. Um, I just don't. Yeah. I ain't gonna lie. I don't think in metric, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> my my mind does not work in metric. We do have some international listeners, so please let me know if you ever do want metric. I will do the conversion back and forth so I can get both information. <laughs> so at this time, it was about five degrees Fahrenheit. I want you to keep that in mind as I talk cold. about flipping cold. Stuff. Yes. Okay. So this sixty-six foot chunk, I just like coined it a chunk, was the size of approximate six-story building, which okay. kind of puts it more in reference. But sixty-six feet doesn't sound that big in the sense of estimated mass of the 12k estimated right. mass. like that's you put, you put a building in there people are going to get that more like oh my god that's huge yeah and okay. so this is a building in a way a building size chunk going in the atmosphere and like going across the sky okay. that's crazy yeah a little bit yeah so it was a brilliant super bull-eyed meteor over the southern Ural region. Many people saw it over a wide area of the region and in the neighboring republics. Some witnesses saying that it could also feel intense heat from the fireball. Oh, geez. And fireball was one of the more technical terms of this item. The high velocity and shallow angle of its entry into the atmosphere, the meteor exploded in an airburst over Chelyabinsk Oblast. The explosion caused a bright flash and cloud of dust and gas. So just a quick question. What would make it explode? Um, Entering the atmosphere? I think entering the atmosphere and the collision with certain parts of the atmosphere. Okay. If that makes because it exploded about 18 and a half miles high. So it was okay. around 97 feet in the sky, still from the ground, approximately. Gotcha. Which, yeah, is weird. And so um, an air blast is another technical term. It's pretty evident what air blast means. It blasted in air and did not hit ground, but some did hit ground. Okay. But the majority of that 66 foot meteor did explode in the air. Um, I learned that meteorite and meteor, the difference is meteorites mean it touched the ground. Oh, the only I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So, and I actually looked it up because there was like some said meteorite, some said meteor for certain parts of this. So I was like, what's the difference? So meteor means it's like in the sky or even atmosphere. Meteorite is when it touches the ground. It gets that. It, it's ite when it hits Got the it. ground. It's ite. It's ite when it hits the ground. That was it's so ite. bad. It's ite. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, and it caused that bright flash, which is really interesting and a hot cloud of dust and gas. I think the heat really surprises me because people felt the heat and it was still in the air, like 18 and a half miles up. Like that's crazy. That's intense. Yeah. To feel that from, from 18 miles above you. Yeah. So it caused many small uh, fragment meteorites and a large shock wave with majority of the energy absorbed by the atmosphere. The shock wave came minutes after the superbloid flash, which is really interesting. Um, It was like a blast wave, which increased pressure and flow resulting from the deposit of large amount of energy in a small, very localized volume. Jeez. So a few minutes after this flash that they saw is when they felt the shock wave. So I feel like that's a delay. I'm not exactly sure why there's a delay. I was trying to figure that out. Hmm. So the total kinetic energy before the atmosphere impact was estimated from infrared sound and seismic measurements to be Whoa. equivalent to the bat blast yield of 400 to 500 kilotons of TNT range, which of course we all know what that means. 
That's, I don't know what? what that means. That's a huge. <laughs> so, of course, thank God Wikipedia tells us. So this would be 26 to 33 times as much energy as the release from the atomic bomb detonated at Hiroshima. No. Oh, my God. That wow. is crazy. That's a lot. That kind of tells you about that shockwave, too, that, like, yes. how hard. And, size, like, holy shit, 30, like, thinking about 30 times more than a nuclear bomb. Is- I is pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Fucking crazy. Thank God it did happen in the sky because that Woo. would otherwise think, we'd be more fucked. Damage. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Um the air blast produced a 92.7 ma- uh magnitude shake when it reached land. I think it might be a 9.2 cuz I don't think a 92.7 makes sense. Anyways, it no. made when it hit land, it created a shake on land too. From okay, that so it could wave. create an earthquake, basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Before it entered the atmosphere, it was undetected and said to be because it's radiant, the celestial point in the sky from which the paths of meteors appear to originate was close to the sun. So essentially, it was too close to the sun to notice. Okay. It was brighter than the sun, but since it was so close to the sun, no one's looking at the sun, as you shouldn't. So they didn't see it. And it it's kind of so blended. bright. I yeah. can't. <laughs> and it, it, it blended in with the sun a bit too. So that made it hard. Yeah. Um, so the explosion caused understandable panic. About 1,500 people seeked medical treatment after the event. The injuries oh, didn't have anything to do with directly with the meteor, but most were the effects of the meteor. Like huh. broken glass from windows that blown in from the shockwave. This huh. shockwave damaged about 7,000 buildings. Actually, over 7,000 buildings from <laughs> six different cities. Wow. Overall, there were no deaths, though. That's shocking. Yeah. Very I, shocking. I imagine his death from the effects in general could be something, you know, like that yeah. shock and like I one, don't know, maybe two, somebody, I don't know, something. Yeah. And even with the windows breaking and stuff. Jeez. So this meteor could be seen from Chelyabink, Kurgan, Verdlov. I'm trying so hard. Verdlov, Timon, and Ornberg Oblast. The Republic okay. of Bashkortostan and in neighboring regions in Kazakhstan. Okay. That one I could say. I was excited. Kazakhstan. <laughs> so the boil or boil, uh, which or bolide, it might be bolide. Anyways, which is a fireball that explodes in the atmosphere. So okay. it was brighter than the sun. And went to said that the air smelled like gunpowder, sulfur and burning odors that came Jeez. about an hour after the explosion. Once again, kind of weird. And it wow. lasted all day long. Okay. I say it's kind of weird, but I guess if it's 18 and a half miles in the sky, Maybe it just like that smell and dust and everything had to like make its way down. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it took like an hour for that to start. The affected area of damage was an irregular elliptical or oblong area that Ooh. was about sixty miles or a hundred kilometers wide and a few. It says a few tens of kilometers long. So ten kilometers about six miles. So a few six mile chunks long. Okay. <laughs> I think I wish I had a better measuring. Um, <laughs> And they called it a spread eagle butterfly. Oh. Yeah. Really, no. So, like, I guess it's, like, both your upper wings and lower wings. Oh. Like, yeah. oh, so the butterfly like, actually open. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes more sense. At first, I was like, someone's been watching a little bit too much Chicago. <laughs> Just a bit. <laughs> if no one gets that, that's part of the gel block tango. Okay, y'all? One uh-huh. of my favorite and only favorite, favorite 
Yeah. Well, it's like the only musical I actually really like, too. I so. love Chicago. Of the injuries, almost 1,500 sought medical treatment. It definitely over. Oh, over 1,400 sought medical treatment in the Chelyabinsk Oblast with a few within the first few days at wow. that specific hospital or city hospital. So mm-hmm. 112 were hop- hospitalized and two of them were in serious condition. One woman got a spine injury that they talk about. There's 180 cases of eye pain that came out of it. And 70 people had flash blindness, which I think is like temporary blindness from looking mm-hmm. at the blast and seeing the exposure. blast and all that. Yeah. 6,000 apartment building blocks were damaged of wow. the over 7,000. 293 medical facilities, which were pretty needed after that too. 718 yeah. schools and universities, 100 cultural organizations, and 43 sport facilities. Jesus. Yeah, it's a shit ton. Feb- like I said, February 15th, 2013, Oblast governor estimated the damage at more than 1 billion rubles. 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 Thank you. I was thinking like, <laughs> so me and Kate were talking about that. I'm like, that's not right. Um, Cause like rupees in yeah. Zelda, that's how, so it's rubles, rubles, <laughs> which is approximately $33 million USD. That's Which, a lot. I mean, it is, but 33 million doesn't seem enough. But again, it's Russia. So I think yeah. the, it's that conversion thing that we talked about before with another um, Correct. thing that happened, another disaster. The meteor originated from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, which is super interesting because that seems pretty far away. Uh, mm. A 20-foot wide hole was formed in Lake Chabarskul frozen surface a two foot size meteorite was found at the bottom of the lake so there's frozen lake and somebody discovered this huge asshole in the frozen lake again like Mm -hmm. i said it's five degrees so i do want to talk about and back up before we get into this meteorite so when this shockwave happened it broke glass and i was reading something there's like oh right away people started trying to cover the windows and everything from cold and i was like oh shit because it was five degrees so it was way below freezing five degrees fahrenheit and so of course when everything like broke just imagine that chill so cold but at the same time there was heat so i wonder how that must have felt maybe that's why you feel any heat because it's only five degrees in this area and then this heat wave is pretty easy to hit and feel it but then after that goes away five degrees is fucking cold so they start covering the windows right away and that's really dangerous for all those apartment buildings with people living in them because how do you keep people warm if your windows broke in five degree weather yeah you don't yeah. And I just want that to be, when we talk about disasters, I want that to be like one of those things, um, what you might call the black swan, but things that you don't think about with these disasters is the aftermath of what that means. Totally. Um, because that could cause, that could be an effect of people freezing to death um, post me- meteor exploding in the air because of the window shattering, because of the shockwave. All those dominoes. So All those dominoes. All those. So back to that just two foot... <laughs> falling down hitting exploding in the sky all the same thing so the two foot meteorite was found in the bottom of the lake which is very interesting at 1442 pounds it was the largest fragment of the um, meteor that was found Mm. security footage was released of the impact and scientists estimated it hit at about 225 meters per second oh man which is really hard for me to understand how fast but that's just really fast it is it's pretty close to over 200 feet per second definitely maybe close to 50 feet per second and 64 because a meteor is about five inches more than a feet if anybody wants to know i mean a (laughs) yard oh my god a yard so over 230 yards per second because a meteor is about five inches bigger than a yard yes 
Um, so 64% of the speed and sound, um, 64% of the speed of sound. So it was 64% of the speed of sound fast. Okay. I don't know. My math brain does dumb things sometimes. <laughs> like that means anything to us. <laughs> so the dust from the explosion stayed in the atmosphere for months, which oh, is super geez. interesting. Some pieces inside the meteorite formed in the first 4 million years of the solar system history. Mm-hmm. So it's literally a chunk of history of the universe that was landed into that lake. Oh, so wow. NASA says the house-sized asteroid entered the atmosphere over um, the city at over 11 miles per second and blew apart 14 miles above the ground. So we had that 15 or 18.5 yeah. earlier quoted. NASA says 14. I'm thinking between there. It doesn't matter. That's so high, but not super high. Mm. So this caused some serious support towards tracking near-Earth objects to follow. And now they're working on methods to deflect those possible disasters and protect Earth from their impact. So since 2013, it's been a more serious worry that one of these could um, happen again. And so they decided to put more money towards that to protect Earth and the people on Earth. Because like I said, this didn't even hit the ground. Well, I mean, we do have that chunk of yeah. the meteorite, the two foot that hit the ground, but the whole thing didn't. But even at 18 feet up, it caused all that damage and all that. And had it injuries. done, had, yeah. it, had it actually hit, that would have been beyond oh, disaster. Devast- yeah, it's so de- devastating to the yeah. whole region. Yeah, I think the seismic would have been worse. And I'm tell you the truth, I'm pretty surprised that people didn't die. And I'm surprised there wasn't any talk about fires or anything. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely an impact <laughs> i'm so and there sorry. it is there I'm, it so is. I'm not sorry fuck it i'm not sorry you enjoy that pun i'm not sorry you like that <laughs> i actually yeah. did like it that is the chel how do you say that the chelia binkst meteor that Love i it. found incredibly interesting that is incredibly interesting yeah i i do indeed love it <laughs> <laughs> no, that was actually really cool. And honestly, yeah. like, I didn't realize that things like that could like, like explode in air the way they do. And it's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I Absolutely didn't know it. I didn't know it either. And it was kind of nice because I kept having to do, um, which I were saying, like, some of the definitions for some of the words. So I learned a lot more about meteors and meteorites and blast. Yeah. And there are other meteors that um, may or may have entered the earth. Um, there's one that I'm going to be probably talking about later. It's some that we have many movies about, but I don't think we really think about seriously because oh. it's a very foreign kind of concept. And again, I almost did a weather related one with that five degrees talk, but really oh, it oh, was oh. not, this is a space disaster or coming eh, from it's space. It's still good. And I know I, I, I kind of love it. No, I love it. That I'm like, huh, I just can't, I just can't talk about weather. Why is that? <laughs> unless it's flooding but yeah i find it really interesting yeah no i love it we're giving a variety i would Uh, love to hear if anyone's actually ever heard about this meteor yeah same i want to know what you know if you have any more information or if you have any experiences we'd love to hear that as well yes we really want to do episodes of people's experiences but no one's written us yet come on guys yeah okay bring it on bring it on for me today oh my gosh so the last episode that we had, I remember saying that we had done, I had done a double or we had done a double. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited cause I had done a winter double. So here we go. I am doing the 1910 Wellington avalanche. Ooh, oh, I've been wanting to hear about avalanche. Yes. Okay. I've been really so, curious about avalanches and I have another, found one to another cover. snow thing. So yes. yay. I'm so ready for this. Okay, okay. Tell me all about 1910. I'm ready. 
Hold on. Okay. So I wanted to do, I, I, I know about avalanches simply because like I've, we, you know, we both have lived in an environment where avalanches are possible when visiting, mm-hmm. you know, whom, wherever, whomever in different areas of the country. And I was like, so what does an avalanche do exactly? So I, I looked up in the brief description, the brief, very brief from Wikipedia was that new snow or rain can cause built up snow to loosen and fall down the side of a mountain. So that's the sort of short and skinny version of here's what an avalanche is, right? Yeah. Okay. So for nine days at the end of February, 1910, this is my wiki um, uh, reference here. Uh, Wellington in Washington state. Uh, was assailed by a terrible blizzard. Up to a foot or 30 centimeters of snow fell every hour. Every hour. Holy shit. Okay. And on the worst day, 11 feet of snow fell. Two trains, a passenger train called the Spokane Express and a mail train were both bound from Spokane to Seattle, were trapped in the depot. Snow plows were present at Wellington and others were sent to help, but they could not penetrate the snow accumulations and repeated avalanches along the stretch of tracks between Scenic and Leavenworth. So there was a, that particular area that they had been trying to avoid or trying to clear was mm-hmm. not able to be cleared because it just kept snowing and snowing and snowing. Oh. Uh, late on February 28th, the snow stopped and was replaced by rain and warm wind. Both not good for snow on a mountainside. Yeah. Um, just after 1 a.m. on March 1st, as a result of a lightning strike, and again, thunder snow, very possible to have occurred at this time. Mm-hmm. As a result of a lightning strike, a slab of snow broke loose from the side of Windy Mountain during a violent thunderstorm. A 10-foot wow. high mass of snow, half a mile long and a quarter mile wide, fell toward the town. That's a huge chunk of snow. That is a ginormous chunk of snow. I was wow. like half a mile long and a quarter mile wide. I'm like, that's basically a mountain just falling off. Yeah. I mean, that's like face. a block by like, no, it's like two. Okay. In Portland, we have smaller blocks though, but like yeah. two by four blocks. It's about. so huge. I mean, yeah. to think about it, I'm like, oh my God. Like I can't imagine being in the town and watching that come towards you. Yeah. Uh, a forest fire had recently ravaged the slopes above the town, leaving very little to impede the avalanche. Mm. That also contributed to the amount of destruction that occurred by this. Uh, the avalanche missed the Baylitz Hotel, which also housed the town's general store and post office, but hit the railroad depot. Most of the passengers and crew were asleep and aboard the trains. The impact threw the trains 150 feet downhill and into the Thai River Valley. Ooh. 96 people were killed, including 35 passengers and 58 Great Northern employees. That's the name of the rail lines. Damn. On the trains and three railroad employees in the depot. 23 people survived. They were pulled from the wreckage by the railroad employees who immediately rushed from the hotel and other buildings where they had been staying. However, the work uh, was then abandoned because of the adverse weather conditions. It was not until 21 weeks later, during late July, that the last of the bodies were retrieved. Aww. I can only imagine the smell. To this day, the Wellington Avalanche was uh, the worst avalanche in the history of the United States because it had a total death count of 96, but also the devastation that occurred. Mm-hmm. This was the only avalanche in the region that winter. Three days later, 63 railroad workers were killed in an avalanche in nearby British Columbia. 
Wellington was quite quietly renamed Thai during October because of the unpleasant associated uh, associations with the old name of Wellington. Mm-hmm. The depot was closed when the second Cascade Tunnel was completed. So they started rebuilding the railways uh, in 1929. And then the town was abandoned and it eventually burned. Oh. Do, 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 do. Ghost town. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. So Seattle Times, the uh, this is the Seattle Times article. The snow swirls day after day, driven by breathtaking wind and piling drifts some 20 feet high. Then it started to rain. Lightning stabbed at the darkness, illuminating two trains stuck in snowdrifts on the tracks at Wellington near Stevens Pass. Thunder boomed and a wall of snow 14 feet high let loose and slammed into the trains, sweeping them 150 feet down to Ty River Gorge. In all, 96 souls were lost in the Wellington disaster on March 1st, 1910. It was the most deadly avalanche in U.S. history. A century later, it still is. According to Nike Hamanilo... Um, who's a great Northern trail ro- railroad track walker. So they had these people called okay. track walkers that would go out and look for like places that they needed to do repairs and yada, yada, yada. I had never seen a storm like this one on the level. Snow was eight to 10 feet. And in places it drifted to 15 to 20 feet high. This winter is a hell of a time. George H. Churchill, Churchill, who was the great mm-hmm. Northern railroad brakeman said the coal was running short and the supply in the bunkers was used up. And what little coal they had was needed to keep the trains warm so the passengers wouldn't suffer from exposure. So it was a tough going on the actual train where there was passengers. Mm-hmm. One of the um, Harrington is kind of like the owner of the railroad. He ordered the trains to a sidetrack to wait out the storm. The passengers waited one day, two, then three, then four, five, six. So these people are sitting on a train in the freezing cold waiting out a storm where it's wow. snowing a foot a foot a day, if yeah. not more. Or foot an hour. Um, on February 26th, uh, Harrington's alarm grew. The storm had changed to rain, falling in sheets of water on all that snow. On the 28th, an electrical storm began to rage, splitting the night just after midnight, March 1st, with thunder and lightning. Okay. So this is a experience by William Edward Flannery, who mm-hmm. is a telegraph operator uh, for Great Northern. At 12.05, I woke up and saw a flash of lightning zigzag across the sky and saw another, and then there was a loud clap of thunder. The next thing I knew, I heard somebody yelling. We got up and climbed down on the bank where, to where the trains had been knocked by the slide. I saw a man lying on the snow, and I went and got him and put him on my back. And while I started up the hill, another slide hit and knocked me down underneath it, and I lost this man. I was sort of dazed and was underneath the snow some 10 or 15 feet. I started to dig out and climb out along the side of a tree and finally got out. And I was in a such, in such a dazed condition that I walked down and walked into the river up to my shoulders. Oh, wow. And I came to and realized what I had done. He was just like trying to save people, you know, yeah. like then he lost one and yeah. And he just um, kind of got a little, yeah. My shock. I'm assuming yeah. like, yeah. Exactly. So trains stuck in snowdrifts at the tracks of Wellington near St. Fedela. They forever changed railroading through the high cascades. Afterwards, Great Northern Railroad, today's Burlington Northern Santa Fe, built massive concrete snowsheds over the tracks. Eventually, a 7.8 mile long tunnel was built through the mountains at lower elevation, opening in 1929, and is still in use. Cool. That was cool. Yeah. Hulks of the snowsheds and an earlier, shorter tunnel can be seen from the Iron Goat Trail. So this is an actual hikeable trail these days, people. A recreational and historic interpretive hiking trail on the old railroad grade, including the Wellington town site near the base of Windy Mountain. The town was renamed Ty by the railroad in an attempt to bury bad PR along with the dead. 
But forgetting will never be that easy. Preserved in a coroner's inquest and court records, testimony of survivors tells what happened that night on the mountain a century ago and in the harrowing days before the disaster as passengers grew increasingly uneasy, trapped in the tracks, with snowslides rumbing down the mountain east and west of them. Uh, so it said that some of the people on the train were lawyers on the way to argue a case in Olympia, a widower taking a new start, uh, look, looking to, to have a new start out west, a travel writer on her way to Seattle. Um, all of them were on the Spokane Express. Um, and as they had climbed aboard, it was already snowing. Okay, so Harrington had dispatched crews to clear the Great Northern's tracks with rotary snowplows. Iron beasts fed coal and water that gnawed into the snow, throwing it with fan-like blades. So you can imagine their old snowplows were pretty pretty crazy looking pretty beastly yeah sounds like like, a nightmare fuel right now it's like a truck with like a an actual like sled attached to it yeah um after a snow delay at leavenworth on february 23rd that train and express uh and an express mail train continued west towards seattle soon harrington knew he was faced with no ordinary storm the wind was piling drifts as fast as crew could clear them it was snowing a foot an hour. The trains became stuck at Wellington just west of Stephen Pass. The slides to the east and west made it impossible to go forward or back. Not to worry, Harrington told passengers as he ordered the trains to a sidetrack to wait out the melee. Mm-hmm. Um, they kept trying to desperately use the snow plows and like shovels and you name it to get out of there. He said that laborers attacked the drifts with shovels before most of them who were paid 15 cents an hour gave up and were like, bye. They walked <laughs> Hashtag over this. Um, I would too. Not going to lie. Yeah. Some of the passengers had already lost patience and walked off the mountain, hiking in their street clothes through deep drifts and sliding hundreds of feet down the mountainside on their rumps. They all made it safely out, but it was a desperation move that children aboard the train could not possibly attempt and that many Mm. other men and women aboard could not also. So I'm actually kind of surprised those people who did that actually were like, they're better off. They didn't die. Yeah, which is funny because that's um, usually not that that's like against the normal advice, like of being yeah. stuck in snow and cold weather kind of thing. But that's, don't go out in it, you know? Yeah. It happened. It worked once. Yep. That's an exception to the rule, y'all. Yeah. Passengers were asleep in the train. Many crew members joining them believed it to be the safest place to be. So they were mm-hmm. just like, we're just going to stay here. Um, let's see. So after it occurred, rescuers dug through the snow to find the wounded and towed out the dead on sleds. Um, the snow, uh, again, surrendered the last body in July. So in an Everett cemetery, seven of the trainmen that were killed in the Wellington disaster were buried to a guy named Martin Burwash, a farmer and feed mill worker from Burlington, Skagit County. Uh, the trainmen of the great Northern railroad workers, just like him, no ordinary men, um, used to long days, loud machinery and rough conditions. He believed their fate, 61 of them died in the avalanche, mm-hmm. um, had largely been overlooked as attention focused on the 35 passengers killed. Uh, he decided to write the worker's story in a book of self-published historical fiction called Biz Major. So moved was he by the worker's plight that he also bought a headstone for a crewman in an unmarked grave. I know that was so sweet. Aww. Faces east towards Stephen Pass, as do all the other trainmen's graves at the cemetery. I've often wondered if they think that was cool. Or if it's, I don't want to look at that damn place. Is somebody's <laughs> idea of a bad joke? I'm like, oh my God, it's got a good sense of humor. <laughs> um, so from history.com, a little bit more detail on the actual incident itself. At the bottom of the gorge, trains were covered by 40 to 70 feet of snow and debris. 
because the telegraph lines were down, people of Wellington were unable to call for immediate assistance. Despite the risk of further avalanches, many people did pitch in and try and dig out survivors. Mm-hmm. It was not until the night of March 2nd that assistance from outside of Wellington was able to arrive. By that time, 23 people had been pulled out alive, most with serious injuries. It took over a week to recover the bodies of all 96 victims of the avalanche, which had to be moved by toboggan to the rail lines for further transport. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, yeah. Um, Lessons were also learned about dangers of clear cutting timber on mountains above towns and villages, Mm. a practice that was partially responsible for the avalanche. So learning that they cannot clear cut certain areas because it does help abut further avalanche damage. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So today, hikers on the Iron Goat Trail can still find bits of the warped wreckage that were carried, not carried off the mountain, crumbling under the overgrowth as a reminder of nature's terrible wrath. So I was hoping that at some point you could kind of like jump online. There is a really good, I think history.com actually had a couple of pictures. Mm-hmm. They had some of the old pictures that were taken right after the incident occurred. And then some that are fairly recent people walking on the trails and like, um, like pieces and uh, bits of the wreckage. So, uh, yeah, that's the Wellington avalanche, ladies and gentlemen, pretty intense, pretty quick. It happened, like I said, over nine days, um, lots and lots of snow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you, can, I think, and you can go hike it. On the I Iron think the, the foot, uh, hour just kind of blows me away. Yeah. Cause that, it's, I don't know. that's, and that's like a straight up squall. That's intense snow. Yeah, that's intense snow. Like mm-hmm. how, yeah, I don't know how to even act in that. Like the first hour seems fun. And after that, you're stuck in the house or wherever you are. Right, exactly. And you're just like, dang, it's it's really coming down. It's really coming down. But yeah. it's Yeah. It's, I mean, in five hours, that's as tall as me. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Quickly, quickly, it's done. Yes. yes. So. Good Tiber choice. Valley, Stevens Pass, little little snowy, snowy for you. And like I said, you can hike the Iron Goat Trail and actually still see some pieces of the wreckage. Which is super interesting. <laughs> Which is really fascinating. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, real cool. You can still see a little piece of <laughs> shitty history and, you know, like, think, well, I think it's kind of like talking about like the headstone too, though, like being able to respect the loss yeah. of life too. Yeah. I feel like that's thing. And also as a reminder. Of like, hey, let's not clear cut stuff. And this is why right. we do the things we do. Exactly. And again, another reminder that weather is unpredictable. You oh, know? yeah. I mean, it, it went Never from know. crazy amount of snow to torrents of rain. And that just caused, you know, a complete yep. shakedown. So, a hella slide. Yeah. Hella slide. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. Nerd. A bunch uh, of Nerds. That was excellent uh, research there. I learned I learned a thing again. God, I love learning a thing. I love learning a thing. Learning things are good. If you learned a thing, we would love to hear about it. We Please would. <laughs> email us at pdangerousSituation at gmail.com. You can also give us a little chat through comments or retweets or whatnot. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter under the same handle, which is PDS. Oh, my God. What's the name? Which is PDS. Ah! <laughs> I was like, what? what dangerous is situation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> on those social media places at PDS Podcast. I almost said PDS situation like three times. Uh, yeah, PDS Podcast. You can come hang out with us and let us know what you learned. Tell us some personal experiences. Tell us maybe something you want us to do research and talk about. Yeah. Yes. This was a pretty yes. quick, nice episode, I feel like, which is kind of good. Boop, boop. It's nice to have a couple shorties for y'all for yeah. 
when you need and by shorties i'm sure it's still an hour long or more Shorties. Yeah, it's still, <laughs> still gonna be long still still gonna be kind of long yeah thanks for hanging out with us y'all thanks, we really guys. appreciate it we'll uh talk into our microphones and pretend we're talking to you soon mm-hmm. bye oh bye. wait i forgot I drink my beer oh and duck and cover duck and cover bitches duck and cover hee hee bye, bye. <laughs>